Let's thank him for his mercy. Come on, let's magnify him right now. Those of you joining us online, go ahead and praise the Lord with us right now. Hallelujah. God, we worship you. We love you. We magnify you. We glorify your holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in online. Let's go to the word of the Lord. I'm going to direct your attention to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And then we're going to jump over to Isaiah 9. And then finally into Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Isaiah 9, just a couple of chapters over, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From hereafter even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then if you would join me in Matthew chapter number 1. And verses 22 and 23, this is when Mary is told the dream, the angel speaks to her. Verse 22 says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. And I just want to simply Preach on that very title today, Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray. God, we thank you right now for your word. God, I pray that you would anoint my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to speak your logos and your rima to your church. God, bring our thoughts captive right now to the obedience of Christ and let us do your will. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would give you all the glory as you write your word upon our hearts. And in Jesus' name we pray it. And do you believe it? And say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Christmas may now be the biggest, most popular, most profitable holiday. But Christmas is in jeopardy. There's a subtle erosion of its true significance. Now, some believe that because of all the peace on earth and goodwill toward men, that my assertion might not be exactly 100% correct. Some may also think that because people are generally filled with a sense of goodness and love for their fellow man during this season, and they go to church more during this season, that my statement could be disproved. Now, I do agree, and I will concede that there is a sense of goodness that seems to happen this time of year, a sense of brotherly kindness that fills the air. People let you merge into traffic, hold the door for you, say nice things, and seem to be somewhat generally uh, a little bit better. But I still say that we're in danger of losing Christmas, things that are celebrated Goodness and brotherly kindness, etc., are are mere remnants of the true meaning of Christmas. Now, there's a debate 
And there are people on all sides of that debate as to the actual date of Jesus' birth. You have some that just fundamentally, absolutely believe it was December 25th. You have others that say, no, it was September. And you got some that really don't even care. I'm not here to debate any of that. The true meaning that should be celebrated begins with the prophecy that Emmanuel would come. I don't care what date it was. If it was June 25th, I could care less. The prophecy was given. It was fulfilled. That's what matters. And so much so that the prophecy was so that he would save his people from their sins. I read 21 and 20, uh, 22 and 23, but 21 says, for he shall save his people from their sins. The sad truth is that many have allowed traditions or the media or movies to describe and define what Christmas is. Misconceptions and myths abound. And if we're not careful, the truth will fade into distant memory. And by the way, I'm not referring to the fat guy with a beard that supposedly travels the world and gives gifts every year. Or his reindeer, or his elves, or some snowman that can come alive with a magic hat. In fact, I would dare say these aid in the loss of truth. But let me bring this a little bit closer home for just a moment. What about overspending on gifts and presents? Oh, it got real quiet right there. Wow. What about indulgences and gluttonous activities that we participate in? Let me ask you a question. How is it right to be a good steward and a wise steward and healthy all year long only to give it all up during the Christmas season? I want you to apply that same logic to adultery. Okay? I'm going to be faithful to my wife 11 months out of the year. And in one month, I'm not. Do you think my marriage would work? I didn't think so. It doesn't make sense, does it? You see, it's easy to point the finger at Hollywood and Disney and Netflix and all of that and say, man, they're ruining Christmas. They're spreading lies about Santa and blah, blah, blah. What if we pointed that finger at ourselves and ask ourselves, what are we doing to defend the truth? And yet, do we realize the impact we're afforded this time of year? What an opportunity to reveal the truth about Christ. Again, I know he wasn't born on December 25th. I don't believe that. Okay, But I can capitalize on this season. I can capitalize on the moment of brotherly kindness and peace on earth and goodness to celebrate that he was born and that he is God with us. And even those people that want to get away from saying Merry Christmas and say Happy Holidays, do you know the word holiday means holy day? They're still, in some sense, giving credence to a day in which a king was born. That he is God with us, and even those who are born again know He is God in us because He was born. Now, again, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying let's cancel the drama. They've worked too hard on it. I'm not saying let's not put up the decorations this year. I think you've already started bringing some of them up. Let's do that. Let's, let's have a good time. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's get together with family uh, uh, and, and, and enjoy ourselves, but let's do so in truth.
The Bible says to worship him in spirit and in truth. Had he not come, we would never have become. The Bible says for in him we live and move and have our being. So let's celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Sarah came home from Sunday school all excited one day to show her parents a picture she had drawn that morning. The teacher said it's the most unusual picture that she's ever seen, Sarah explained. Her mom and dad studied the picture intently. There was an airplane with all sorts of people on it. And her dad asked, who are these people and what are they doing on an airplane? She said, well, dad, don't you know? That's the flight out of Egypt. Okay. Her mom replied cautiously, oh, well, who's this mean man in the front of the airplane? She says, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> mom, oh, okay. I see, I see. Um, and here's Mary, Joseph, and the baby, her dad asked, but who's the fat man sitting behind Mary? She says, Dad, can't you tell that's round John Virgin? And we laugh, and we should. It is funny. But Sarah's mixed-up view of Christmas really is not much more muddled than the notions that average people today carry around. The cast of characters that we bring to Christmas is no less bizarre than the strange ensemble Sarah drew on her paper that day. Our Christmases are a product of an odd mixture of tradition, pagan ideas, superstition, legends, and just plain ignorance. Now, <clears throat> the real and true meaning of Christmas gets lost then in the chaos and confusion. And, and before anyone says bah humbug to me instead of amen, let me t tell you clearly, I love this time of year. You should know that. I'm listening to Christmas music in July, Okay. I love getting together with family and friends. I, I enjoy celebrating uh, some of the traditions that my wife and I and our family do from, you know, how we read the story from Luke before we start and, and, and you know, and all of that. And, and just all that we do that, that makes up our own traditions and what you may have as yours and how that many times in years past we've uh, taken food down and given to the shelter and things like that and just given to others and not just about the presence under the tree, if you will. I love, obviously, the music that goes with this season. But as you know, I'm also an apologist and a student of the Scripture. I want to know the truth. I want to worship God in spirit and in truth and tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And I want to do so in love. So let's dig into the Scripture together and, and discover and, and separate uh, uh, some of the misconceptions and, and all that and the myth from, from the truth. And let's look at what God wants us to understand about Christmas. First of all, I want to point out to you that prophecies are fulfilled in Christ at this time of year. Time would not allow me to go into because there's over 400 of them. We would not have time to go through all of them today or even a series. It would take us quite a while to do so. But we'll look at some of them. You see, the Christmas story, quote unquote, begins a lot earlier than you might imagine. There was an Old Testament prophecy that was pr promised a coming anointed one, a Messiah, who would redeem his people from their sin. And one of the oldest prophecies specifically related to this season comes from the book of Numbers and from an unlikely source by the name of Balaam. Numbers chapter 24, verse 15. 
And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. And here it is. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So right there in the beginning, uh, or in the, in the book of Numbers, we have a prophecy given by Balaam, who was a hireling. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2 are the fulfillment of this prophecy. Verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. How did the wise men know to get there? A star. And they said, verse 2, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Kings have scepters. That's another way of saying a scepter has risen out of Israel. King of the Jews. Jews are Israel, right? So we have the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then they even said, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Another unlikely source of Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus comes from Deuteronomy and is fulfilled in John's gospel. Let's take a look. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you. If you, if you notice the King James, it capitalizes the word prophet there because it's a direct prophecy of Jesus Christ. And notice Moses says, of your brethren like unto me. That makes Moses a type of Christ. Okay? Him you shall hearken uh, unto him you shall hearken, according to all that you desired of the Lord your God, and Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let, us, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. Verse 17, the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet among their brethren. Here it is again, capital P. Like unto you, and will put my words in his mouth, he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. In other words, he will be judged. He will be uh, damned. That's why Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Look at John 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. And again, King James capitalizes P. Pro Moses prophesied it in Deuteronomy, Jesus fulfilled it, and the people recognized it and said, He indeed, of a truth, this man is the prophet. You see, this, this time of year, and again, we're not here to argue whether or not Christmas should be celebrated on the 25th or celebrated at all for that matter. What we're here to say is it did happen. There was a birth in a manger. There were shepherds that observed it. There were wise men that, that came and, and, and all that went into it. There were visions and prophecies and angelic hosts and all of this surrounding it. There were people who saw it and it happened. And what's beautiful about this is it, it can connect Scripture for us. When you pull on a thread in Deuteronomy, you're opening up a thread in John. When you pull on a thread in Numbers, you're opening up a thread in Matthew. Because it's interconnected. Oh, hallelujah. And that's what the season is about. Yeah, sing the songs. Yeah, wish for snow if you want to. Do all of that good stuff. Drink your hot cocoa. You know, give to the poor. Do all those things. But make sure you're, you're telling people about the season and the reason for the season. You've seen that, that uh, meme where it has a wreath and it says, Tis the season. 
And then it has a crown of thorns and says, tis the reason. He was born to die. He was born so that you and I could live. He was born to die, to rise, and to ascend so that you and I could live eternally. Oh, hallelujah. Now, obviously, we've read Isaiah. We could look at Micah. We could look at a host of others. And Micah tells us the exact city where he's going to be born, Bethlehem. It tells us exactly where. And we see that fulfillment in Matthew 2 and Luke 2. We could look to Isaiah 11 and see the prophecy that the Messiah would come from Jesse. And that fulfillment's in Matthew chapters 1 and 3. And yet in these three simple words, we can describe the full purpose of the meaning of Christmas, God will us. I want you to grasp that for a minute. Because in much of mythology and much of legend and much of even history of mankind, you don't associate with the upper echelon. You you don't associate with the king. You don't associate with uh, the the gods of mythology because they're on a a different plane than you. And never do you see in mythology or or any of those uh, uh, books or ideas where those created beings become like their subjects so to save them. But you see it in the Bible. You see God, who is infinite, who is the only God, who is not a myth, who is not a legend, saying, I will robe myself in flesh. I will come and be with them so that they can be with me. God with us. And many will focus on the infancy of Christ at Christmas. And, but the real truth is the deity of Christ at His birth. Watch 2 Corinthians 5.19 to wit that God was in Christ. That didn't happen when he started his ministry at 30. That didn't happen when he cried it is finished on the cross. That happened the minute he was born. He was God in Christ even then. Oh, hallelujah. More astonishing than a baby in a manger is the truth that the promised baby was the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you, Jesus. So fulfilled prophecy is the truth of this season. What an opportunity to share with people. What an opportunity to tell people, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Oh, I know all about it. I've had some bad Christmases when when bills were due and and I couldn't afford things, but I've never had a bad experience, if you will, in in my experience with God. Does that make sense? Sure, I can relate to to having hard times, but, but in Christ I've always had joyful experiences. I began to share people who He is. To Israel, the promised king, and his kingdom was, and in fact still is, viewed as political. They wanted deliverance from their oppressors. They wanted vengeance for their captivity. They did not want a redeemer 
for their sin. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 are some of the most quoted Bible verses during the Christmas season. You'll see them on Christmas cards. You'll see them on church marquees. You'll hear them quoted in plays, you, uh, uh, you know, bulletin boards, billboards, etc. Even non-Christians will quote and can quote at least the essence and at least part of these verses. And while every Jewish person knows these verses, many of them, if not the majority of them, are still looking for the Messiah to come refusing to accept the truth that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment. I want you to, for just a moment, consider the wealth of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, that's son of man. Unto us a son is given, that's son of God. Government shall be upon his shoulder, that's king of kings. Wonderful counselor, his name shall be wonderful counselor. That's the, what the Holy Spirit does, counsels us, leads us and guides us into all truth. The mighty God. Jesus Christ is the one true God, Almighty. The everlasting Father, Jesus Christ is the Father. The Prince of Peace, He's the God of Peace. His peace passes all understanding. I mean, have you, have you paused for a minute? To, that's seven different things I just said to you. The wealth that is in those verses. He's God alone. There's no one beside Him. There's no other God before Him. There is none after Him. And the most used verses at Christmas prove it. What an opportunity to take that truth and use it to witness to people to say, I've met him. I know who he is. I know the wonderful counselor. I know the mighty God. I know the everlasting father. I know the prince of peace. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. We've been talking about the kingdom a lot lately. And probably will for a while. And we should. Because Jesus bookended his ministry, beginning and ending with the kingdom. And his parables are all about the kingdom. I think we should talk about it. I think we should understand it. You see, Israel wanted a political leader. They, they wanted a king who would overthrow the Roman oppression that they were under. So when he came and spoke of his kingdom, and it wasn't what they wanted... No wonder they didn't want to hear it. No wonder they wanted to kill him. Because instead of a kingdom that was uh, coming to overthrow their oppressors, his kingdom was coming to point out their sin. Ouch. You know, Jesus wasn't coming and saying, hey, you've been doing a good job. Keep up the good work. He came to right some wrongs. He came to, to get their theology back to a God-based understanding. His kingdom has four unique features that's, that is highlighted in Isaiah 9, verse 6. He's the wonderful counselor. This means there's no confusion in his kingdom. In fact, he's not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. John's gospel, we learn that the Holy Spirit will come and teach us and guide us into all truth. And from John's gospel, we also learn, if you, if you were to look at John 14, 17 through 20, you'll find that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. I know I didn't give it to you back there, and I apologize, uh, but if, if you can find it quick, John 14, if you've got your Bibles, you can also open. John 14. I want to show you this, because there's no confusion with, with the kingdom of God. No confusion as to who Jesus is. 
Verse 17, he says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for, watch this, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. For he dwells with you. Jesus is saying, I'm here, and I'm about to be in you. (laughs) Notice the next verse. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So who's the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Yet a little while the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. Now watch verse 20. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What day was he talking about? He was talking about the day of Pentecost. Now, we weren't on that first one, but our day of Pentecost, regardless of what day it was, when we receive the Holy Spirit, that's the moment of revelation that we realize, wow, Jesus is who he says he was. He is complete, and he is the completeness of the Godhead. I'm in him, he in me, I'm complete in him. In other words, it's the dual nature of the incarnation. Incarnation is God manifested in flesh, God with us. Right? The first part of that is God becoming flesh. God, the baby Jesus, right? Becoming flesh. God was in Christ, right? The second part of the incarnation is Jesus filling us, our flesh. And that's what it's talking about here. There's no confusion in his kingdom. He's the wonderful counselor. You can go to him with your needs. You can go to him with what you have need of. Aren't you thankful for that today? There's no chaos in his kingdom. He's the mighty God. The, the, the word there, the phrase there means almighty. And by definition in, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, because it's carried forward in Revelation, Jesus says, I'm almighty God. Which, by the way, if there's, if there's more than two, you have Jesus and you have God and, and somebody's confused because God in the Old Testament claims to be almighty and Jesus in the New Testament claims to be almighty. And by definition, you can only have one almighty. So either Jesus is God or we have a problem. So we don't have a problem because we know Jesus is God because God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And so almighty means he's the only one. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that when the Son of Man comes and he sets upon his throne, Revelation 4, 10 talks about a throne, a single throne that God sets upon. He's the Almighty. There's no chaos in his kingdom. You know what that means? There is not a government, a power, a source. There is nothing that can override, overrule. There is nothing that can impeach him. There is nothing that can can vote him out, that can appeal his decisions. He is God alone. Almighty God. There's no chaos in his kingdom. What a testimony to share with people when the world is in chaos, when the world is going crazy, and especially at this time of year where this verse is used so many times to express to people, I know the mighty God. I know who he is. There's no chaos in his kingdom. There's no uh, misunderstanding. There's no match for his illimitable nature. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's the everlasting Father, there's no complexity 
in His kingdom. Earthly parents may have abandoned, rejected, forsaken us, but Jesus Christ is our everlasting Father, never leaving us, never forsaking us, never failing us. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Amen? There are no conflicts in His kingdom. He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is God and His peace passes all understanding. With all the noise of life, God is our peace. He said in John 16 that we would have tribulation in this world, but in Him we would have peace because He's overcome the world. And notice something else Isaiah 9 verse 7 says. Of the increase of His government and peace... There shall be no end. Hallelujah. It's not just that his government never ends. His peace never ends. You know what that tells me? That tells me that communism, atheism, or any other ism can't take away his peace. That tells me if I'm in a jail cell, I can still have his peace. That tells me if if inflation goes out of whack and we have another uh, great depression, I can still have his peace because his peace knows no end. The stock market doesn't control his peace. The S&P 500 up and down doesn't control his peace. The president doesn't control his peace. Prime ministers and kings and queens don't control his peace. Military can't attack and take away his peace. Ah, he's the God of peace. Hallelujah. Praise God. And it will never end. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because it's hard for us to grasp. Because life begins and ends. This day began. It will end. The Christmas season will end. And to some of you, you're like, thank God, I'm done with Christmas music already. I'm like, you know, I'm going to keep playing it. (laughs) Right? We, we understand life in beginning and ending, but with God there, here's the, you want to really blow your mind? There is no beginning with Him. There is no ending with Him. Because He was before time began. I mean, to try to grasp that, it, it just, all of a sudden your brain starts going, starts shorting out because it's like, how do I understand that? But as much as you can, I want you to try to grasp and realize His peace never ends. The next time you feel you're in a situation that is your your, your soul is is tossed to and fro and your spirit is, is, is tossed around, I want you to remember His peace never ends. You know, sometimes our shoulders become tight and weary from carrying emotional weight. Did you know even the emotional things you carry can affect your shoulders and, and neck and all that. I, I went to a chiropractor uh, one time, and, and he says, uh, so he, he's doing his thing on my neck and all this, and he goes, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, well, I can tell. I said, how can you tell? He says, man, you are knotted up, you know? We, we carry things on our shoulders. How many of you know sometimes it gets a little too heavy? Carrying some of those emotional weights. Are you glad when God lifts off some burdens? Does it feel good when you can lay aside some of those things and feel the peace of God? I want to look one more time in Isaiah 9, verse 6. If you would put it up, please. 
Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice this part. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Since God is with us, I say it's time we let him carry the weights that we've been carrying. His shoulders are prophetically destined for this, not mine. So I want to ask a question today. What are you carrying today that you would like to give to God? Is there an issue, a problem, a question that you'd like to transfer from off of your shoulders onto his? His shoulders can handle the weight of the world. We know this because he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So you can cast all your cares on God. His shoulders can handle the weight. In 1995, Scott Wesley Brown, after a season of prayer and fasting, wrote a song titled, He Will Carry You. The chorus just simply says, If he carried the weight of the world up on his shoulder, I know my brothers, he will carry you. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know my sister that he will carry you. Why don't we let God carry the weight? His shoulders were made for it. He was born for it. He was destined for it. I say let's let him do what he was destined to do so that we can do what we're destined to do. What do you say? I wonder if we could stand. I want to, I know we've still got about six, seven minutes. I just wonder for just a few moments before we, the break begins. If anybody would just like to, to pray, Shane, if you could just come play something. You pick whatever. Something softly. Throwback Sunday, right? <laughs> but I wonder if we could just take a moment. And I want you to first, and if you've got to literally do like this, like you're picking something off and setting it down, go ahead and do that. If you feel like you need that's okay. I, sometimes that helps me to visualize I'm taking that weight off. But after you've done that and prayed for a minute, I, I wonder if you could maybe just be led of the Spirit. If there's someone near you, you can go over, a sister, brother, and the Lord, and just pray with them. Because, you know, sometimes, especially on Sundays, we've all come in, we've got our Sunday best on, and, you know, it's, praise the Lord, how you doing? God bless you, good to see you. And sometimes there's weights inside, Sister Nancy, that we're carrying. Sometimes there's burdens. And, and, and we do a good job of it, of, you know, giving it to God and worshiping despite it. And I thank God for that, but... But you know what? It feels good sometimes to have somebody come up and say, I'm praying for you, sis. I love you. Just that feeling of, you know what? It's going to be all right. God cares. So I wonder, just for a moment, Jesus, help me to take the weights off that I shouldn't be carrying. Those things that are weighing me down. Your, your word says to lay aside the weights. Not all those weights are sins. Not all those weights are bad things 
They're just things that I'm carrying that I shouldn't have to worry about. And it's hard sometimes, God, because I'm flesh. And this flesh gets in the way. But help me to take those off today. Help me not to worry, but to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. Help me to pursue it with everything in me. Your shoulders were made to carry it. And God, I cast them today at your feet. I cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. I know your shoulders can handle it, Lord. You're God with us. And now, Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. As they go through life, as they face difficulties, as God, the uncertainty of the economy and all uh, these things weigh upon us. I pray, Jesus, that you would bring your peace today to my brothers and my sisters. That's it. Go ahead and move around and pray with somebody. Go ahead and be a strength to someone else for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for being my peace. Thank you, Lord, for having shoulders big enough to carry the weight of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that I can trust in you through thick and thin, through problems. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I can give you my cares and that you care. Thank you that you love. <laughs> hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Mountain. Down on my knees, that's where I've learned to stand because I can't even walk without you holding. You know, that song, some people might think, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a grown man, you're supposed to be a grown woman. You really need God to walk. Oh, yes, I do. I had somebody say to me one time, well, Christianity is just a crutch. I said, I know I love it. I love leaning on Jesus. I love leaning on the everlasting arms. My shoulders weren't made for this, but His was. I can cast my cares upon Him. I can lean on Him. Amen, because I need Him. And I don't mind admitting that to you today. He's God with us. And God in us. Amen. So this Christmas season, I know various thoughts abound. And, and I want to just say this too. I, I appreciate this church in so many ways because and I'm not going to point any of you out and, you know, I'll be mindful of that. But I know some of you have, you know, serious thoughts about it. And, and some of you, it's more nonchalant. And, but thank you for being a church that's unified despite that. To me, that's what true unity is all about. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not 
we all have to believe the same thing. That would be kind of boring. Now, when it comes to doctrine, we have to believe that. Okay? But even wherever you may fall on, on the Christmas spectrum, at least recognize that what an opportunity we have when the world is recognizing this time as the birth of the Christ that we can teach and share with others what he's done for us. God bless you. Let's have a break and come back at 11 11.20, excuse me, and uh, we'll get ready for a second half. God bless you in Jesus' name.